for us when we study texts like this. I want to double down on your understanding of how we can approach a text like this letter. Um, We want to look at some of the details in the context and some of the history there so that you have a better idea of why Paul's writing this. If you can't understand why Paul is writing this letter, you're gonna, you're gonna come to the wrong conclusions. You're gonna, you're gonna bring things into this text that aren't necessarily what needs to be done. Then we're gonna look at an overview of the three chapters, briefly look at those, and over the next three, four weeks, uh, the other, some of the other elders, um, are gonna be able to walk through each one of those chapters with you, um, in more detail. And then we'll, we'll do some takeaways. Does that sound good? Um, let's pray as we begin. Father, such a privilege to be here to worship you uh, to sing songs uh, that 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 communicate our love uh, to you that communicate um, how much you mean to us we hope lord that that those songs are are um, sweet to you, that that those aren't just for us, but that they help us um, write our hearts with what you're doing in our lives. As we now move to, uh, to listen to your word and, and uh, understand what it is you were trying to talk to the Thessalonians about, uh, just just open our hearts to what you were doing. Um, help us to understand why you, why you wanted your people to hear this message. And then, and help us to find ways, uh, through your spirit, um, to apply these truths to our lives this morning. Um, we invite you, Holy Spirit, to be among us in, an, in a unique way. And if there's anything in our heart, anything in my heart, that would hinder me and what I would say, I would ask that you would just uh, remove that, Lord. I confess that. Anything to remove that would keep us uh, in, in each of the lives here um, for the Holy Spirit to, to take his root um, and to, to open our hearts, we ask that you would do that, that you would, you would be here among us. And we give you all the praise. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Y'all have a favorite uncle? I had a favorite uncle. He's actually a great uncle. His name was Uncle Louie. He was cool just because he had a cool name too. But Uncle Louie was my grandma's sister's husband. And Uncle Louie was a really amazing guy. He lived almost all of his life in Tulsa. He, he loved the Lord. He loved education. And he loved students. He was on the board of education in that area for years. And I just remember Uncle Louie's, um, uh, m- what he meant to me in my life. When I finally figured out that college was for me, um, there were times when I was in college uh, and things would go well and things were, go- were not going well. And when we would go home for Christmas or I'd come f- home for Thanksgiving, I'd always run over to Uncle Louie's house. He was only a couple blocks away from my- where my grandma lived. And I know Uncle Louie would sit me down and just say just the most encouraging words to me. Chad, you can do this. I believe in you. Just keep it up. And then he would always have a message of encouragement or, and, and, a, and a message of, of challenge. Hey, are you studying? How much time are you studying? 
You can't be a good student if you're not studying. So he was always that encourager, but challenger. Hopefully you've had someone like that in your life. And that's very much like what we're going to see when Paul writes Second Thessalonians. He's like Uncle Louis, in a sense. Um, he's bringing an encouraging message with a challenge. So keep that in mind as we walk through that um, in this text today. Um, so this morning I want to just uh, look at some framing thoughts. Let me see if I can get this to run here. See how that works. Was working. Ooh, there we go. Framing thoughts. Oh. It's always technology. Um, okay, turn to Acts. You should be at Acts 17. Let's look at Acts 17, 1, uh, one through uh, 9, as we begin to frame our thoughts. Um, the question that we want to do when we look at an overview and a background on any, uh, any series is we want to ask and answer the question, why did Paul write this, or why did any author write it, and then why is it important? So why would Paul write Second Thessalonians? Let's just back up a little bit, remind ourselves of what this situation is so we understand uh, these reasonings. Acts chapter 17, starting in verse 1. When they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollyana, they came to Thessalonica. Now you remember, this is Paul, Silas, and Timothy. So when they say we, that's who they are. They came to Thessalonica where there was a Jewish synagogue. This was part of what Paul would normally do. As, as was his custom, he went to the synagogue, and on the th- uh, three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and pro- proving that the Christ had to suffer, uh, raise, rise from the dead. This, Jesus proclaimed, to, to you is the Christ, he said. Some of the Jews were persuaded, joined Paul and Silas, and a large number of God-fearing Greeks and not a few prominent women. Okay, we're going to talk about who, who this, this letter is written to. So some Jews were persuaded. They joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks, and not a few prominent women. But the Jews were jealous, so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mod, mob, and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house, in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them to the crowd. But they did not find him. But when they did not find him, they dragged Jason and some of the other brothers before the city officials, shouting, These men have caused trouble all over the world. These men have caused trouble all over the world, have now come here, and Jason has welcomed them into his house. They are all defying Caesar's decrees, saying, There is another king, one called Jesus. When they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. They had made Jason and the other, and then they made Jason and the others post bond. So, this is some of the background of what we see is happening in Thessalonica. Now, if you have a pen and you have your Bible there, I want you to write the word time right next to in your margin there. Understand, there's probably a period of time between. When this was, when chapter, or verse one, we starts here, and when in verse nine, this isn't like an immediate occurrence. Okay, um, in my study, my guess is that the, it seems best to think that that Paul and his his uh, uh, group was there for probably around three months. 
All right. Some people believe it's three weeks. I don't think they could have such a deep connection with them in three weeks. So I think it's a little bit longer time. So this isn't, this, there's some things happening here. We have a lot of people, uh, some Jews, um, God-fearing, um, uh, Greeks and very, and a lot of prominent Greek women. Okay. And so we're going to, we're going to talk about some of these things as we move forward. So as we frame the question, we want to look at the context. So again, three to five months. This, so when we see second current or second Thessalonians, excuse me, written, it's about three to five months after first Thessalonians. All right. Um, when we look at why Paul would write this letter, it's very much related to what we just read. Um, as you remember, when he wrote First Thessalonians, it was after Timothy had come back and brought a great report, and so Paul penned First Thessalonians. Now, they're in, they're all three of them that are now in Athens, and for, in some way, he, he's, he's brought word that there's some challenges among the Thessalonians. What might you think would be some of the challenges when we just, with what we just read? What are some challenges? What happened in, in Acts 17? Was it dancing in the rain? Persecution. Persecution. Yeah, what happened? You got some, the Jews were mad. They got jealous. They found some bad characters and started a riot. When was the last time you were in the middle of a riot? We've got a lot of those around. This is not a fun time for these believers, right? So Paul really uh, uh, takes the opportunity to to write this letter because a lot of these people are still experiencing a lot of persecution. Persecution, uh, bad theology, and uh, uh, some lazy people. There's, so this is generally where we're going to go today. So, again, three to five months after 1 Thessalonians was written, he pens 2 Thessalonians. He wants to um, really combat some some uh, bad teaching that someone has tried to pass off as a letter from himself. Okay, so that's some of the setting as we start out. Let's see if we can go. Let's interact. Okay, what else do we know about those who are in Thessalonica? Did you know that there are no less than five? Different pagan religions in Thessalonica. Do you think it was hard for these God-fearing um, people, these people who are new believers? Remember, this is three to five months after. This isn't like ten years after they met Jesus. These are people that have have had um, their lives upside put upside down, right? Paul comes in and he takes the power of the gospel. He proclaims the power of the gospel. And through the power of, of, of the Spirit, their, li- they have, their lives have been transformed. They become believers in Jesus Christ, right? Now, what's it like, for example, many of you have been to camp. It's all fun and games. You're learning a lot of good stuff. God's doing amazing things. And what happens? You go home. Paul's gone. They're going home. Paul's gone. Right? All the great teaching. They had three to five months, uh, three three months of, of teaching. He's gone. 
And now they're stuck in Thessalonica, all their friends, and because they are now Christ followers, they can't do everything they used to do. How's that feel? Everything that they knew socially, politically, their families, everything that the, that the gospel is in directing them to become, to be more Christ-like, is going counter-cultural to everything that they've lived in. This is not easy. This audience needs encouragement. This audience is young. There's multiple, um, uh, as in any church, ages, perspectives. Um, there are people doing what they should be. People aren't doing what they should be. People hearing things and responding in, in, in improper ways. So we look at <clears throat> the second point. Poor theology leads to poor action. One of the things that Paul is going to do in Second Thessalonians is correct some poor theology. Okay, if you're behaving in a certain way, it's because you have poor theology. If you have uh, poor actions, that equals poor theology. Poor theology, bad actions. He wants to correct that. Um, fear, conflict, persecution. These are things that are very much um, high on the Thessalonians' mind. Okay. Now, you all have your Bibles, right? Okay. You have, you have 1 Thessalonians, right? I want you to put your fingers on these pages in your Bible. These are the 1 Thessalonians. Okay, you got it? This is all they had. Okay? When, you, when we're studying texts like this, just remember, they don't have this. They have 1 Thessalonians, and they have the three months or so of teaching that Paul had. Now, they had some Jews there that were converted, so it is very likely that they had portions of the Torah, portions of the wisdom literature, portions of the Psalms. They didn't have all of the information that you and I have. So when we look at the text like this, don't immediately go to other passages that might help, because this is all they had. We want to understand when we, when we go through a book like this, your job, our job, isn't just to read the scripture. It's to read it properly. Read it with understanding. So our job, as we introduce this, is to help you understand, my job, is to help you understand why Paul wrote this and understand from the text what he's trying to say. Okay? So bear that in mind when you're reading texts like this. First um, and Second Thessalonians are actually the third, only the third book that Paul's written. The only book before, besides Thessalonians, written was in 49, uh, was Galatians. So that's all Paul had written at this point. So Galatians around 49, Second First Thessalonians around 50, and Second Thessalonians around 51. Okay, so we 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 have to be careful that this is what we deal with, the text that we want to deal with. All right, uh, next one. Framing thoughts. Okay, so those are our framing thoughts. 
want you to bear those things in mind. Now, now let's look at the uh, three chapters of the book. Uh, three chapters, very purposeful. I want you to look at Second Thessalonians two. 15. This, I believe, is your key verse for understanding um, and encouragement in, uh, in 2 Thessalonians. Um, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, 15. Here's your key verse. So then, brothers and sisters, stand firm, hold to the teachings we passed on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter. That's the that's the overarching message, okay? Stand firm. Hold on to the teachings we pass to you, whether word of mouth or by letter, okay? What was just happening? Life is upside down. They can't go to the social club they used to. They're not going to be with the friends that used to go to the pagan um, temples to sacrifice inappropriately. Do you incredibly inappropriate things. They can't do this. The place they shop, they can't go anymore. to anymore. The people they might have associated with, they're not going to be hanging out with them anymore because they're not following the Lord. Just like you. If you have a friend that doesn't know the Lord, you're probably not going to associate with them, with them as much because what is that, that's not going to be behavior that's in, in keeping with becoming like Christ. So, all of these things are what they're dealing with. Paul says, stand firm. Hold fast to the teachings we pass on to you, whether word of mouth or by letter. Okay, so that's your key verse. Chapter 1. There's going to be a, there's going to be a, a pattern in all of these, in these three chapters. Okay, Paul is going to give us a, a, some teaching, and then he's going to pray. He's going to teach... And he's going to pray in all all three of these. Um, first chapter, verse four. Therefore, among God's church, we boast about your perseverance in the faith, in all the persecutions and trials you are you are facing. These people, just like my uncle Louis always had an encouraging word when things were, were challenging. This is Paul's perfect letter for the perfect time. They needed encouragement, right? They needed to hear from Paul that, hey, these people um, that they're living with are, are really making life hard. And Paul goes on through the first chapter, and, and you'll, you'll deal with that. Whoever's next up will deal with the whole chapter there for you. But a couple of things you can think. He, he puts in here, uh, he will pay back. So if you have your, if you have your uh, pen or pencil, you look at the future happenings that Paul reminds us to, to, to understand. All of this evidence, verse 5, that God's judgment is right, and as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. He will pay back trouble to those who troubled you. Verse 8, he will punish those. Verse 9, he will, or they will be punished. One of the things that Paul is trying to help the Thessalonians understand 
is that their persecution is a result of their faith in Christ. And that, part of their hope is that God will take care of that. Have you been wronged? Maybe you're a business owner. Maybe somebody's wronged you. Most all of us have interactions with people. If you have had someone uh, wrong you, there's going to be a there's going to be a reset. And Paul is saying, "Hey, you're facing persecution. Persevere. Why? Because I have a plan. Okay. God, through His sovereign work, is going to write everything." Proper theology. If you don't think that God's going to right the wrongs, then you're probably not going to persevere. You're just going to, oh, there's no justice in the world. No, God is just. In the proper time, he will take care of those who persecute you. This is the message that he was telling the Thessalonians. Look, you're suffering persecution. Remember, future, I will take care of you. I'm going to deal with them. I'm going to deal with them. I'm going to deal with them. So in the, in the now, we look through him taking care of the things that have hurt us. Right? An encouraging word. If you're going through a challenging time, it's very good to know that there's a reason, uh, there, there's an end to your perseverance, right? So that's chapter one. All right. He's going to punish. He'll pay back. They'll be punished with power on the day. We're going to learn about that um, in the coming weeks. Okay, that's chapter 1. Chapter 2. No, that's too far. What happened here? There we go. Now, he, in chapter 2, is going to confront a false letter that was penned falsely under his name. Someone, a false teacher, had, had been telling the people of Thessalonica that their, their, their understanding of end times was faulty. Okay? Um, in 1 Thessalonians, he deals with the rapture of, Paul deals with the rapture of the church. In 2 Thessalonians, in this chapter, he deals with a man of lawlessness. Their faulty thinking was that they were in the middle of the tribulation. Okay? He's, but he's challenging that, saying, no. Your persecution right now is nothing compared to what's going to happen. Okay? Uh, the man of lawlessness, the, the Antichrist, this is what he's talking about. He's confronting this, this bad theology. Okay? Um, and, and that is going to bring them comfort. He says in verse 2, don't be unsettled. Right? Don't let anyone deceive you, verse 3. Remember, if uh, you remember what I when I preached in Second or First Thessalonians two, here's the phrase that I used that was used throughout the whole text. Again, don't you remember verse five? And then he says in verse six, "You know, you know." He's told them this. He's taught them this. He's saying, "People, remember what I taught you." Now, what's exciting and challenging for us as elders is Paul took the time to teach these young believers about true biblical eschatology. 
We need to be teaching more of that. All right? You, you need to know where we're coming from, how things are going to end, how it's going to go, because you need hope. Right? He's saying, remember what we told you. He's like, these guys are off. Don't worry. Just remember what you, what we said. Don't get all freaked out. Yeah, you're, pers- you're being persecuted. He just said that in, in chapter one. Hey, I'm going to take care of that, but don't let this, this false teaching get you unsettled. Remember what I taught you is what he said. And then his pattern is he prays. So he gives them a teaching, um, and then he prays at the end of each chapter. So that's, that's a pattern that Paul's using in Second Thessalonians. <clears throat> He's always um, entrusting the people he loves to the Lord. So that's chapter 2. Okay. It's not doing it. I love technology. All right. Now. So now we come to chapter 3. This is a fun one. They're, they're all, all chapters, these, these are great. But now he comes uh, to take some time to talk to uh, apparently a number of people in the church of Thessalonica who were just idle. Okay, Their poor behavior was a result of this poor theology. They thought, oh, Christ is coming in imminently or oh, we're being persecuted. So they just stopped working. Okay? They're lazy. This is something we have to deal with in our culture today. A lot of people want to do nothing and get something from someone else. Paul says this is wrong. If you're not working, you shouldn't eat. Hear what he says? What does he say? He's rebuking the people in this church. This is one of the reasons why he wrote the letter. He purposefully aims himself at people who are not willing to get out there and work. Um, Question. Remember in Genesis? When was work established? Pre-fall or after the fall? Before the fall. Did you know that we have the privilege for the rest of eternity when God takes care of his entire program, he brings in the new heaven and the new earth, we are going to work... Work is not the result of a fall. When you are not working, you are not being faithful to the Lord. When you are not working, you are not being faithful to the Lord. This is one of the things that Paul talks about. He hits it square in the head and says, do not associate with that brother. He's clear. Keep away, verse 6. Look at it. Keep away from them. Then he says, follow what we did. Why did, one of the things I didn't get to in the introduction, why did Paul decide to go and spend time at Thessalonica? It was a city where he could do his work. He could pitch his tent and do his work so that he wouldn't have to be a burden on the churches. He could have asked for support, and there's nothing wrong with that. But he says, watch what I did. He labored all the time and put food on his own table so that he wasn't a burden. He said, follow my model. Keep away from them. Follow my model. He's not the enemy. Okay? So when he squarely looks at and speaks to the people who are lazy in this church, he's saying they're, they're not the enemy. Just don't associate them with them. Now, 
Look at verse 14. My translation says this, and it, probably a little difference. The, the point is the same. Do not associate them. Why? What does it say? In order that he, what does your Bible say? Ah. Hmm. We don't like that word, do we? Paul looks them in the eyes and says, don't associate them so that they feel shame. Oh, by the way, who was leading Paul to write this? Holy Spirit. There are some behaviors, he's, he's knocking on the door with this one, where if you're not associating with someone, the purpose is that you should feel some shame. Our culture doesn't like that. Scripture is counterculture, people. You should feel shame if you're not doing what you're supposed to do. You've been called to serve. You've been called to work. Work is worship. If you're not working, you don't eat. Paul says, follow my example. He worked hard. The perfect letter for the perfect time. This young group of believers was experiencing incredible incredible persecution. Um, they needed encouragement. They needed to know that the right will be wrong. They needed to be corrected uh, in the sense that poor teaching was being pushed through their congregation. Paul addresses that. And then he squarely deals with those who are not earning their keep. <clears throat> so Paul, why did Paul write that? He wrote this to encourage them to follow his example. To know of the hope that he taught them. Right? We said a lot of things. One question for you is, what, what might God be saying to you? Paul wrote specifically for these people. But at the same time, he might have a message for you. What, what is he saying to you? Here are a couple of things I think he might be saying. We, saw, we sang about his faithfulness. We have tremendous hope because he is faithful. Do you live in hopefulness because of his faithfulness? Do you worry? Paul says, hey, the Lord is faithful. He has a plan. He is working his plan. He's going to right wrongs. Live in that hope. He turns, I love the way John Stott said it, he, he has a way to turn negatives, a negative situation, into a positive. He takes this negative challenge that the, that the Thessalonians were ha having and he turned it into a positive. Second, again, God will right the wrongs. And finally, there is hope for living. Paul's message to the Thessalonians was what Christ wants his church to embrace. Hopeful living. Persecution. I'm going to take care of it. Be careful what, you, what doctrine you're listening to. If you have poor behavior, it's rooted in poor theology. 
if you think wrongly about God, it's probably because of your wrong theology. And third, um, if you're lazy, Paul says, get to work. Follow us. A hopeful message for us, even as it was a hopeful message for the Thessalonians. Paul's book, uh, this, this, I can imagine when whoever carried this book, uh, back to the believers in Thessalonica, um, it was like when I would walk into my Uncle Louis's house and it was a welcoming place because I knew Uncle Louis was going to be there to encourage me, to challenge me, but to encourage me. And that's what this book would have been like. They were frustrated, they were, they were fearful, and when they received this word, it was probably like, mm, this was perfect. This is what I needed to hear. How about you? Let's pray. Father, boy, we need encouragement all the time. And we're so grateful that you provided uh, this message uh, to the Thessalonians. That was was the, the perfect encouragement for them so that they can continue to live for you as they were taught. Lord, we need that as well. We need to know that in hard times, you are going to take care of things. <clears throat> You're going to right the wrongs. Uh, Lord, help us when we, when we uh, encounter uh, improper theology or, or bad doctrine. Help us to remember what your word tells us. Remember what you've taught us so that we, ha- we don't have poor theology that would lead to poor actions, that we would have right theology that help us live rightly for you. And Lord, just, we're so grateful that, that, that your pattern that you encouraged, uh, Paul was that not only did he, did he mention challenging things, but he, he prayed for them at every point in this letter. Um, that they would remember your name and that you would be glorified. That it was by your grace that gave each one of us eternal encouragement and a good hope so that our hearts would be encouraged and strengthened. What amazing prayers. And that the Lord of peace will be with us at all times. Thank you, Lord, for delivering this message to Paul that he gave to the Thessalonians that we can understand and apply to our lives. We give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.